Hi, this is Sue Burke. Welcome to my podcast. I don't know about you, but I've been doing a lot of eating over the holidays. It got me started thinking about taste. Do you like the taste of broccoli? The answer behind why you actually like broccoli or force it down is rooted in science, the science behind acquired taste. The great range in human taste perception between people makes taste unique among the senses. Sensitivities of vision, hearing, touch, and smell vary too, though only modestly from person to person. To survive, our ancestors needed to live in basically the same sensory world as today. We're all fragile, warm-blooded bodies after all. The cones of our retinas tend to detect the same color wavelengths that have always been present on our planet. Human eyes are most sensitive to the color range of green. The cochlea, the snail-shaped organ in the inner ear, picks up common levels of noise and pitch range around us. The olfactory epithelium in our noses discerns a similar array of incoming smells, not all of them pleasant. Vision, sound, and smell are more uniformly dependent on our environment. Olfaction gets a protective nod without question. While smell is specialized in the detection of volatile chemicals around us, taste is restricted to the detection of contact chemicals, meaning eating. Our tongue acts as one of our first gatekeepers by helping us distinguish between good and noxious substances and consequently guiding our food choices. Through the process of evolution, the perception of taste, along with smell, provides humans with a dietary advantage. Today, taste may indicate whether a particular food is corrupted and potentially harmful for consumption. Smell is key and intertwined with taste, but exploring these interrelated senses would make this post way, way too long. Gustatory chemical perception is a mouthful. It means discerning taste stimuli. Taste chemically tests everything that enters our mouths. That's why taste was molded by what our ancestors consumed over the eons. Taste doesn't live in one sensory world. This is especially true of the taste we call bitter. Bitter originated at a, as a biological warning system to keep toxins out of our bodies. Sea anemones, for example, which first appeared 500 million years ago, sense and vomit bitter substances. Plants produce most of the world's bitter substances. The number of plant species on Earth is over almost 400,000. The number of bitter compounds is unaccountable. The reason plants are bitter in the first place is that they don't want to be eaten. Our taste for bitterness is a result of this diversity. Taste is not universal. A bitter taste receptor has been found and named TAS2R38. It's located on chromosome number 8, and not everyone has this gene. This is interesting to me. It seems intuitive, but this notion was not conclusively proven until the 1930s. Taste is an inherited trait. Initially, there were tasters of the bitter gene and not non-tasters. With humans spread across our globe, different habitats and climates led to different food choices. Survival challenges grew the division between tasters and non-tasters. Depending on where populations migrated, factored into how this gene evolved. For example, studies have shown that in Northeast Britain, nearly one-third of the population can barely taste bitterness. Perhaps this accounts for a preference for darker beers. I personally don't love dark beer, so this is a, I have a picture on my website of a lighter variety beer. 
Maybe I have the bitter gene. Do you like dark beer? The Inuit of Greenland are among the least bitter sensitive of a population, perhaps because there's so little bitterness in their traditional diets. Small variations in this gene sequence account for vast differences in a person's ability to taste bitter. 25 bitter receptors have been identified in humans to date. Not all bitter compounds are poison. Willow bark has a bitter compound, salicin. Salicin, the precursor of aspirin, is useful as an analgesic, anti-inflammatory agent, and antipyretic. Some forms of bitter insensitivity enhance survival too. The reason coffee is an acquired taste is that coffee has several bitter compounds, most notable is caffeine. I have a different post about the science of coffee and caffeine on my website. Raw coffee beans actually don't have much taste. It's roasting the beans that teases out the bitter flavors. This is a delicate process, so finding a balance is key. Cocoa beans are the opposite. Raw, they're quite bitter. They have different flavor profiles depending on where they're grown, dried, and fermented. Hence the vast array of different chocolate flavors. One of our ancestors stuck with it though, maybe someone without the bitter gene. Bitter chemicals aren't limited by plants, to plants. Some are released by bacteria. Super tasters, people who can detect tiny amounts of bitterness may have an edge when it comes to warding off upper respiratory tract infections. I have a link to a study on my website. Bitter taste receptors actually help people with asthma. These receptors in the lungs induce more open airways, reduce allergen inflammatory responses as well. They are under investigation for treatment of asthma. I think you'll agree that sweetness is a powerful motivator. Sugars are the foundation of the Earth's food chain. Made by plants during photosynthesis, sugar molecules contain the sun's energy. So sugar essentially equals fuel. Because sugars are so useful, it's rare to find them in concentrated forms within nature. Nature spread the wealth. Hence, most animals don't need concentrated sugar, including us. You won't find any of the dessert pictures I've got on the webpage hanging from a plant. And yes, I did eat the missing cinnamon roll. We're dependent on sugar for our big brains to use as fuel. Maybe this rationale is why our sweet receptors can recognize all kinds of sweet substances, including natural sugars, artificial sweeteners, and D-amino acids. There aren't nearly as many sweet receptors as bitter. This turns out, though, to have backfired on us. When you take the sugar out of its natural sources, fruits, for example, you're missing out on a multitude of fibers, vitamins, enzymes, and antioxidants that help balance the sugar intake and provide health benefits. Essentially, you've made a drug. Sugarcane, the world's primary source of refined sugar for thousands of years, needs a warm climate to proliferate. It only grew in a very small spot on Earth. But since it is easy to transport without spoiling, sugar traveled along with man in their great migration. Called white gold by British colonists, sugar's monetary value remains today. Sugarcane is the world's third most valuable crop. There are parables about Buddha from 2,500 years ago about him enjoying sweet treats. 12th century theologian <laughs> Thomas Aquinas must have had quite a sweet tooth. He wrote that eating sugar would not break a religious fast because sugar was medicine. Medicine for our dopamine receptors. Studies have shown a link between sugar and dopamine. 
Dopamine is a chemical that ferries information between neurons. This chemical plays a role in how we feel pleasure and happiness. Dopamine is a big part of our unique human ability to think and plan. When we eat sugar, the sugar molecule locks onto the dopamine receptors. Dopamine is released, reminding us that we feel good. This is a perfect example of the phrase, too much of a good thing. When we eat too much sugar, the sugar affects the dopamine receptors in our brain, resulting in the brain producing huge surges. This is similar to the way the brain reacts after ingestion of substances like heroin and cocaine. There's an article on my website comparing this. An article link. When our levels of dopamine are depleted, the effects of the negative neurotransmitters are more pronounced, making us feel horrible. With constant stimulation of opioid receptors on the nerves, they become desensitized. This is obviously easier to, um, sorry, easier to reverse than with opioids. Uh, but, and I'm not gonna preach to you about the evils of excessive sugar consumption and how it wreaks havocs on our bodies, including teeth. Let's move on. Umami is real. Controversy surrounding the idea of umami as a primary taste um, kept going until 2007, when two genes were shown to code for the umami receptor. Umami is the Japanese word for savory taste of amino acids. Uh, such as monosodium glutamate. The essential amino acid lysine triggers this receptor. Lysine is concentrated in proteins such as red meat, fish, and eggs, but it can be found in plants as well if you're not much for a protein. Essential amino acid means that our bodies don't produce them. We need essential amino acids for proper brain and body functions. That means we need to ingest foods with lysine every day to replenish our, our supplies. This makes a lot of sense. Our umami taste receptors are urging us to seek out these essential foods. I have a list of lysine-rich foods on my website. Herbivores, such as giant pandas, have lost the functional versions of the T1R1 gene. That's the umami taste receptor. This is, as I said, often associated with meat eating and why you don't see pandas enjoying steak. Salt receptors. How they affect us is the least understood of the five taste receptors. This seems strange considering that salt is, well, salt, NACL. But salt adds a surprising nuanced flavor to foods. It turns out that salt receptors are divided into two types based solely on salt concentration. That's interesting. As late as 2016, using the poor mice, Poor old mice. Scientists discovered that salt receptors are subdivided into two separate populations based on the size of the salt molecules we ingest. Low concentrations of sodium, which are typically attractive, are detected by one type of receptor cell, and high concentrations of salt, which animals try to avoid, are sensed in a completely different pathway. I have an article link on my website. Now, salt isn't all bad, of course. Without sodium, Neurons and muscle cells would not be able to generate electrical impulses, the intestinal absorption of nutrients would be undermined, and the kidneys would not work properly. Salt plays an important role in enhancing flavor in cooking and baking, too. Salt contributes to overall flavor, the fermentation rates of yeast, strengthening effect on gluten protein in the dough. Salt is a preservative, too.
The reason we have two types of salt re receptors is clearly to keep us from eating too much. In 2019, a study using healthy adults showed that subjects who were less sensitive to salty taste reported consuming more bakery, more salty-based products, saturated rich products, and soft drinks than the hypersensitive salt subjects. Ouch. For a more sensitive palate, eating less salt is an intuitive choice, not to mention the health issues, which I'm not going into here. But I do have a link on my website if you want to read more about it. Sour taste detection functions as an important sensory input to warn against the ingestion of acidic food sources, meaning unripe and spoiled. It would follow that scavengers, also known as carrion eaters, don't have these receptors. A few examples of animals without this sour receptive receptor are eagles, hawks, crows, ravens, <laughs> ravens, vultures, hyenas, coyotes, and opossums. The five taste receptor types are not just on the tongue. Receptors for bittersweet and umami are found in the intestine, stomach, pancreas, respiratory tract, which I talked about already, and even sperm. I have many articles, uh, many articles confirm this fact. I have a link for one on my website. Understanding how and why the immune and nervous systems communicate in a bi-directional pathway has been fundamental to the development of a new field, psychoneuroimmunology. Taste is a big part of self-regulation. As I'm sure you already concluded, our diet plays a big role in our taste receptors working the way they were meant to. It's remarkable that food quality and intensity can be coded by just five basic tastes. And our individual coding is the backbone behind the science of acquired taste. It is far more complex than I realized, which is why I have so many article links on my website. Biochemists, anthropologists, neuroscientists will continue to explore how we perceive tastes. Chefs, agriculture and food technologists, as well as behavioral psychologists, make contributions to the whys behind the flavor of foods as well. One thing is certain, taste perception is as individual as we are. Thanks for stopping by. I hope to see you soon. Take care.